So, so this topic is one that's very dear to my heart and um, primarily because there is one, such a large geriatric population and soon to be even larger. In fact, it's projected that within the next 10 years, the geriatric population that we have is going to probably double, if, if not uh, get bigger than that. And that's just a combination of things. So medicine has gotten really good and really proficient at prolonging life. Um, at treating chronic diseases. And so um, a, a much older population is now what we find and is now what we see. But along with that now come very peculiar problems that are often associated with a population that is older, but very, in quotes, healthy, and uh, just able to be much more interactive in their day-to-day -day activities. And, and so psychiatric problems in that cohort of people is, is becoming more common too. Um, okay, um, so the, the elderly, um, just for a very, just for, for a few reasons, uh, do suffer sometimes more disproportionately from psychiatric issues because there are certain things that make the elderly just uh, a peculiar population. One is that chronic diseases are often associated with depression, um, can actually cause depression. So often many heart-related disorders. Um, chronic pain disorders, um, late life changes in, you know, in, in, in where people live, people move, um, just all of the antecedent things that come with getting older can cause some degree of depression, uh, some degree of just ability to need to change and adapt to a lot of, you know, different things. Um, but we're now realizing that as a, a, as a population, the elderly uh, are not necessarily suffering from depression because that's something that happens with everybody who gets older. But we're just saying that, you know what, they do go through a lot of change, a lot of chronic illnesses, and things that perhaps would have taken people uh, to a, an earlier, um, not to be morbid or anything, but to an earlier death are now being treated. And so people are living longer. And uh, we, we just have to be aware that there are now things that uh, the elderly deal with it. Perhaps they didn't need to. Uh, so what are some of the very common uh, uh, psychiatric problems that we see in the elderly? And I'm going to play more emphasis on perhaps the most common ones. And out of that group of most common ones uh, is late life depression. And as I go into more details, we'll, 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 we'll see why. But other geriatric uh, psych disorders include generalized anxiety, bipolar disorder, psychotic disorders, somatic symptoms and related disorders. And those are a group of illnesses that actually um, present as almost like a, not, not quite quite an obsession, but the presentation of that disorder is, is, is just, you know, different symptoms that you would normally see in different conditions, but just a constant, um, almost a, a constant uh, perseveration on, on certain symptoms that actually are more a manifestation of, 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 of some anxiety, some underlying anxiety. And once that's treated, you often find the physical manifestations of that disorder now being um, uh, uh, laid to rest as well. Um, you also have neuropsychiatric symptoms of dementia. So dementia is often related with depressive-like symptoms and some other psychotic um, 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 symptoms. And those can be treated as well, not necessarily taking the dementia away, but certainly making the symptoms associated with dementia much more easier to, uh, uh, to handle. 
And that's very important for caregivers because these are the symptoms that will um, play into a lot of caregiver burnout. And uh, not to digress or anything, but caregiver burden in this group of older adults as they get you know, into the 80s and 90s and have all these uh, associated disorders is a huge uh, burden. And caregiver stress, caregiver burnout is something that needs to be treated just as actively, if not more, uh, as the person who has the different uh, diseases and is being cared for. Uh, there's also another um, symptom, uh, so another disease state uh, that we call delirium, that is actually a manifestation of many other medical illnesses that then have certain characteristics uh, that are commonly uh, seen, like a, a urinary tract infection. Somebody comes into the hospital and suddenly, oh, it's not really those symptoms we're dealing with anymore, but the agitation, the confusion, the wanting to get out of bed, the struggling. I mean. It can, be, it can be pretty severe and recognizing what that is and knowing how to calm that down until the urinary tract infection or other infection for that matter is addressed is, is extremely important and helpful. I'm going to just uh, emphasize and, and expand a little bit on uh, one of the most common uh, this, uh, psychiatric results, which is depression, uh, late life depression. And the reason I think I want to hamper or, or, or just tune in a little bit more to this disorder is the symptoms and the presentation are very, very, uh, or can be very different from how you would expect depression to present and be reported in a, in a younger person. So in an older person, there is very, uh, very often little attempt by the person asked to say, oh, you know, I, I really feel down. I've lost interest in doing things. I just don't feel myself. Um, I, I, I'm aware that I'm really, in a, in a, in, in a, in a sense, depressed. Many times in the elderly, uh, because of that stoic uh, generational uh, attribute of, you know, forging ahead, pushing through, you know, certainly it's different sorts of things that they have, you know, gone through in, in their lives, they often don't recognize it in themselves. And so many a times it is that, you know, overemphasis on those aches and pains. It is that emphasis on, oh, you know, I really don't sleep like I used to. There's all sorts of different symptoms that if well recognized can be actually pinpointed down and uh, all attributed to perhaps just depression. Uh, and then when that's uh, treated properly, you often have a lot of symptom burden relief. So a variety of symptoms then suddenly become much more uh, tolerable and um, it can be very gratifying for the person who is taking care of that person or who is treating that person. Next slide. All right, so one of the other things I wanted to, 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 to hamper on is the fact that in late life depression, we also have a few symptoms uh, of this disease that often mimic dementia um, for the same, you know, for, for reasons that uh, are not totally, totally clear. We often find that in older folks, a loss of memory, uh, a loss of interest in doing certain things and so on, can actually be more attributed to depression, but often misdiagnosed as being dementia. So often you have family members say, you know, uh, Mr. So-so-and-so or my mom or my dad, they're really not remembering things like they used to. Um, they're not really interacting and going on trips or going shopping or, you know, I think they're just getting, you know, it's, it's just dementia. It's kind of what we expect at this age. 
but very uh, usually or, or, or commonly, you can actually find it in some underlying depression that hasn't been identified, hasn't been treated, might even have been there for years, and the symptoms start to look like depression, or start, sorry, start to look like dementia, and even though dementia and, and, and depression often have very similar symptoms, it's at least worth further investigation because there are instances where people have been thought to have dementia, they are uh, screened, they're diagnosed and they're treated. And they, there's, a, there's a huge quality of life that's brought back. And so it's, it's, it's as a geriatrician, as an internist, I've seen this happen before. And it's a very, um, it's a very wonderful thing to see, to see a loved one suddenly get treatment, suddenly start to you know, function and so we go back to the, the words, in, 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 which is very common in, in, in geriatrics, where we talk about not necessarily quantity of life, but quality. And to see that quality reveal come back in an older person is, is you know, it's a joy. Alrighty. So um, I think I've kind of touched on this again. I've said, you know, just how um, depression can present, often mimicking uh, dementia. Sadly, dementia often has some depressive symptoms. Um, that are also treated um, aside from just the actual uh, cognitive decline associated with dementia. Um, but I think it's important just to try, if, if at all possible, to, to separate what is what, which is not sometimes as easy as it sounds, but certainly getting a professional to tell you how much of this is dementia, how much of this is dementia that's just starting, how much of this looks and seems like treatable depression, is certainly a worthwhile thing to do. I'm gonna give you a scenario that uh, many, many, many primary care physicians and probably geriatricians see, and probably many family members or uh, uh, spouses of loved ones have, have also seen as well. And so basically, we have an older couple who lives in Florida. They have uh, raised their children there, they've retired there, they love it. And uh, unfortunately, Mr. I'll say for, for the sake of you know what we're, we're talking about, Mr. Smith begins to have falls. It's not quite sure you know exactly why he's falling. It's you know his eyesight is not as good. He is uh, you know just just not, not 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 being as steady on his feet for a few reasons. And so he has a couple of falls, and then both his elderly kids who live in California, you know, begin to have to rush down. Uh, you know, they're taking a flight from Los Angeles to Miami. They're then having to drive miles down to where they live in, in, in Southern Florida and try to see what's going on. Why is that in the hospital again this time? You know, what's going on? And, and they get frustrated, which is, which is common. And uh, they're obviously very caring, very loving. That's why they come. And so at some point, the two adult children in California get together and say, hey, mom and dad, you know, this is not working for you. It's not working for us. You've got grandchildren here in California. You don't seem to be doing too well in, in Florida. Why don't we just have this plan that we are hatching that you, we'd like you both to come on board where we take both, well, not take both of you, but we ask you very persuasively to then come over, live with us or near us in California, and then we can be available if you continue to have these medical issues. We can provide more care. We think you'd be in better, you know, you'd be safer, you'd be more, you know, it's all a great idea. Now, the caveat there is that mom and dad uh, haven't really been asked. Um, <laughs> they probably have been more told. And uh, yes, you know, they're not like they used to be, but uh, there's definitely a push to make them understand 
that they that their independence and you know how safe they are and so on and so forth is just not what it used to be and so this plan really is a better plan in quotes and uh, that's it and so they are given time they say you know in the next two three months we'll be here we'll pack you all up we'll look for a place for you to live we have an assisted living place that's great we'll pay the, the fees down it's near both our homes and you all will be you know happily ever after and um, they don't find anything wrong. I mean, they're very caring children. And so in the next month or so, Mr. and Mrs. Smith now begin to take in exactly what this is all about. So uh, we're leaving our home that we love. We are leaving friends. We are leaving everything that we know that is pretty normal and routine to us. And uh, what does that mean? You know, what, what do we know to to prepare for as we move out to california and it's a lot and yes they do have elder you know older children and they would you know cherish the the, the ability to be near a family but it's a big move and for mr smith i think he more than perhaps mrs smith takes the uh the, the possibility of change the worst and when i say the worst you'll see what i mean and so he begins to think okay so i'm losing my independence i I'm really not that person that used to make the decisions for my wife and children. I'm kind of not that stoic anymore. What does that mean? And he begins to take that all in, anticipate the, the move and the change, and invariably he starts to um, feel somewhat depressed and somewhat blue. But the funny thing is he doesn't really notice. He just thinks, okay, you know, I'm not you know, crazy about this move, but you know, hey, I'll go along with it. What then happens is that in the in the in the in the few weeks after they've been told the plan, very very gradually, Mrs. Smith notices. You know, my husband is really not that interactive. He's not really reaching out to friends as much. Time goes on. A few weeks later, they go out to get groceries. This is a this is a store we go to all the time. But suddenly, um, how are we getting home again? Where where did we go? All those stuff. Um, those kinds of things start to come up. It is quite alarming. I mean, Mrs. Smith has never seen her husband like this. And so she begins to think, oh gosh, you know, is this some sort of depression that, oh, sorry, some dementia that I have really never noticed before. And now it's kind of come to the surface and so on and so forth. But there is a definite decline. And so um, a man who used to, you know, take so much pride in his appearance and that's not that's not looking too good anymore. You know, his hair isn't brushed in the morning. He has no urge to necessarily shower and go out. And it's just a big change in his personality. And even though it's very gradual, uh, Mrs. Smith is definitely certain that there must be some dementia going on. Luckily, um, she begins to think about all of this in the context of them moving soon and decides, you know what, let's just go see the let's just go see our primary care doctor. He happens to be somebody who in Florida is very um, aware and very used to large assisted living facilities, um, large numbers of seniors. And so he's not necessarily a, uh, what, we, uh, what we call a fellowship trained geriatrician, but he certainly has a lot of experience treating older people. Um, while there are lots of geriatricians uh, all over the country, they certainly do not meet um, the demand uh, just because of the numbers uh, of older folks that we have now. And so they go to their primary care provider, he hears the history, he hears this impending move, he hears everything that's going on. By the way, all this is supposed to be really good change because you know it's 
you know, going to a new place, going to, you know, be with children and grandchildren. Uh, and so he just has a high level of suspicion that this, this, is a, this is good, but it's a change. It's a big life change and stressor. And so he just kind of takes that into consideration. He gets a head CT scan um, of Mr. Smith, uh, just because he had fallen recently and wants to be sure that there's no bleeding, uh, which we often call a, a, a subdural a hematoma that can be very, very slow. And they can appear very slowly, but they can often change um, personalities and so on and so forth. And, and he finds out that that's not the case. There's nothing wrong there. Um, he does blood work. He looks at thyroid function. He looks at um, vitamin B and D levels, all sorts of things. Just, just, a, just, a, just a thorough checkup. Uh, and nothing really is amiss. And, you know, Mr. Smith, in, in that sense, is actually in pretty good health. And so he begins to tease a little bit more, decides to uh, give him what we call a depression a screen in office. And he happens to have one that has just two questions. And he asks about, you know, how he's felt in, in, the, in the past few weeks. Um, has he, you know, noticed anything himself? Um, he also has another screen that has a bit more detail, which is nine questions. Now, there are a few tools that can be used, but he does have a high suspicion. I think this is the, the key to take away. And, um, you know, lo and behold, Mr. Smith actually triggers um, uh, one of those depression screens, and it looks like he might have some depression. And so just from taking a really thorough history, looking again at the circumstances, looking again at what's going on, he decides to um, give him a trial of uh, a medication called um, SSRIs, which is commonly used, which is a common class of medications used to treat depression in the elderly. And uh, within four weeks, he's, he started on a dose and it's titrated gradually upwards. And within four weeks, he goes back for a follow-up and Mr. Smith is looking better. His personal hygiene is better. His grooming is nicer. He is starting to drive again. Mrs. Smith reports that, you know, he's actually reaching out. He's made a few phone calls to friends. Mm -hmm. And then they go back for another checkup in, in 12 weeks. And Mrs. Smith is all beaming. You know, she walks in, she's smiling. And um, she says, you know, my husband is really much more the person that I used to recognize. They also set up, the, in, in that period of, of them going back after 12 weeks, there's also been an intervention where um, a, a, um, a behavioral uh, uh, um, a behavioral therapy specialist has taken it upon herself to have a telemedicine visit between um, Mr. Smith, his wife, and the adult children, where they're able now to have much more dialogue. Mr. and Mrs. Smith feel much more in charge and much more able to um, communicate their needs, their preferences, you know, and just kind of be much more part of the process of this big relocation. And so they were very anxious about their kids thinking they were gonna be ungrateful, but then having that behavioral therapist kind of be that person in between, they were all able to come to some final, um, some, some decision where they all saw it as a, a win-win. They were all making decisions, there were suggestions, there were, and everybody felt they were taking part. And so, just using that small clinical veneer, I think it's it's just uh, telling to see how easily even well-meaning adult children who, you know, come in and they kind of have all the answers for mom and dad, 
you know, this is sometimes what, what can happen. This is sometimes what can be the result, especially in parents who are highly functioning, have been, you know, pretty much in charge of their lives all along. And just because of health problems or, you know, things that have really gotten out of their control, they now need to be in a safer environment and now need more care. So big change for adult children to finally kind of step in and have to take more of a caregiving role. Big change for parents to finally accept, you know, we do need some care. We do need a little bit more supervision. Um, and so that's just a small vignette, but um, hopefully it kind of, you know, shows how, how easily even well-meaning, uh, you know, <laughs> well-meaning change in adults and older adults can be quite traumatic, uh, quite stressful. I'm also going to add a little bit about dementia. Dementia can often have some depressive symptoms. Those are also uh, treated with this um, other, um, with this class of medications called SSRIs, which are common antidepressives. They, however, in dementia have some other symptoms that are typically uh, sometimes seen more towards the end of the day when the patient has had a lot of um, stimuli, there's been lots going on. And uh, we call that sundowning, and that can be present that can present as some agitation. It's it's great when it's recognized. It can be treated with um, medications, but most 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 uh, predominantly just just using behavioral uh, changes like yeah, taking a patient into a quieter setting, reducing bright lights, reducing a lot of auditory input, you know, TV and and and, and things being turned off and just music as they prepare to wind down for the evening. Um, it's a great thing when those are, 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 are seen and, and highlighted because they do, um, uh, as I said before, contribute to a lot of caregiver burnout. So Dr. Etemaru, mm -hmm. a couple of questions have come in. Mm -hmm. First question, I have a relative who says they have dementia, mm -hmm. but I wonder if it is depression. What would you advise? What would I advise? Um, so. I would say this, in the elderly, you can have both these things. You can have some depression and you can have dementia. It's not uncommon to have both in one person. Um, could you just have dementia mm -hmm. and have that misdiagnosed and just have depression? Absolutely. And so I think what this just brings out or what this reiterates is that a, a proper diagnosis, a proper um, screening is essential. And as I said before, there are screening tools that can be administered in a primary care setting where questions are asked of the patient or a questionnaire is given to the patient. Um, there are means of teasing out some of the history. So a medical history is an absolute must. And so you want to be with a physician who is going to take the time who is going to do the, 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 the due diligence to take a history, ask the right questions, find out what social history is like. Is there a recent bereavement? Is there some big you know, life change coming up as I presented? Is there an impending relocation? Has there been a death of a spouse when all of this kind of triggered and started? There are some key things associated around an event when the decline was first noticed that often are indicators or they are things to make somebody suspicious that perhaps this is perhaps more depression. Um, we can see depression sometimes as a forerunner to dementia. 
So there's just a lot of areas of overlap. But again, going to a physician, getting the right questionnaire um, administered, getting somebody who perhaps has a high, high suspicion but is not you know, entirely sure and saying a trial of medications will not hurt you, let's start there as well since that medication will treat both symptoms of depression and dementia and just depression on its own. So I hope that's not too much of a complicated answer. I would just say diagnosis, um, physician visit, and um, you know, take it from there, but, but don't, don't sit and do nothing. I think that's the key takeaway. Don't assume, don't say this person is older, that's kind of what they do, that's kind of what is expected. Never, never leave an elder person uh, just to be. Um, getting old does not mean you have to be depressed. Yeah. So then to follow up, so would you say your primary care physician is the recommended doctor to diagnose depression? Yes, I would. I would say so because um, there's a dearth of um, fellowship-trained geriatricians in the country. Um, you know, Hopefully there'll be more, but just the, 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 the population, the baby boomer growth, the, the doubling in size of, of the elder population in the next 10 years, it makes that impossible to say every single physician that a person over 65 sees is going to be a geriatrician. That's unrealistic. But there are a huge amount of primary care providers, wonderful internists, family physicians who have made it their life's work to treat the elderly who have been in situations where that's all they're treating. They serve nursing homes, they live in areas of the country like Florida, where most of their patient panel is an elderly population. Mm -hmm. And they are very, very experienced. They know the elderly um, probably better sometimes in, in some ways um, than perhaps a newly minted geriatrician in the sense that they have followed patients for many, many years. And so I would say, as long as you're going to a, a primary care provider, um, that, 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 that's a start, and that's, that's a good start to make. Yeah. Another question is asking, another person asked, so if I am prescribed um, a series of medicines and they don't work, what do you recommend, or what are the next steps? Um, so the medication that you are, uh, sorry, the medication that a person who is suspected to have depression is probably described is probably a, a class of medications called an SSRI. And if those don't work, and usually, you know, you, 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 you give those for a total of 12 weeks before you expect or, or predict some sort of response. Um, not work is often, I would say, not necessarily a misnomer, but it's what are we describing as not worked? Are we describing symptom improvement? Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason I say that is because, because we see depression and dementia so commonly together, not necessarily always apart, sometimes just symptoms being more manageable, sometimes just symptoms being more manageable for the caregiver, sometimes for quality of life just to improve enough that they're not the way they were when they started. So not working, it's a very broad uh, definition. Um, some improvement is expected in some symptoms, perhaps not in others, but overall there's a general increase in quality of life. Um, for more detailed aspects of what to expect, what not to expect, your primary care provider 
might say, you know, I've done due diligence, I've started you on this medication, we're seeing some improvement, but maybe further going forwards, um, you might be best advised to see somebody who, who just specializes in mental health. And that would be a geriatric psychiatrist or a, psychiat a general psychiatrist. Um, so that's kind of a, a broader view to that, I think. Dr. Etchamato, you had the term reversible dementia earlier. Mm -hmm. So somebody was curious, what exactly is reversible dementia? <laughs> so it's more of, um, let's see, reversible dementia. So what that means is for every person who presents and who is thought to have dementia, given um, just the, 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 the how I've expanded on this topic, uh, don't assume necessarily that's so. And so that means if you find somebody who is isolated, socially withdrawn, um, not enjoying the pleasures of life, is perhaps not as cognitively there as they used to be, um, seem to be losing their memory, seem to kind of, you know, what we assume sometimes just happens in older folks. Um, that person may not necessarily be a person who has no recourse. That's what I'm trying to say. Let's not assume that everybody who presents in a certain way that typifies dementia has dementia, because there's this, this thing like, you know, there's this, this, this perception that, oh gosh, once you have dementia, it's all downhill. Why bother? Why do anything? The purpose of what I'm saying, and you know, I kind of overemphasize this more, is that if it's not dementia, or if it is dementia, but some symptoms can be treated and treated easily, it's certainly worth the, the, the time to do that and to get a proper diagnosis and to try. The payback is just so enormous. The, 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 the chance to have some sort of quality of life is huge. Um, and so that's what I mean by reversible. So the assumption that this is dementia, because it kind of looks like dementia, um, no, I, I would say as a geriatrician, not, not all the time. You know, go get the, the loved one checked out, go get them screened properly, go for any treatments that are given, and those don't necessarily all entail just, you know, medications for dementia. No, it could be a mood disorder with underlying dementia. The mood disorder gets treated and, and corrected, and then that makes dementia so much easier to, to deal with. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a mix of several things, but, but emphasis is on diagnosis and not the assumption that, you know, this is it and, you know, it's all down, downhill from here. So Dr. Etemadu, how can people find you? People can find me at um, my, I think, I think my email is the best way to reach me. And that is, A-J-I-K-E dot E-T-U-M-A-D-U at atriumhealth.org. Um, as, as Jason said, I work primarily in a hospitalist setting, but um, I do have board certification in geriatric medicine and uh, it's, it's, it's a deep passion for me. And so if I, if I, if I get an email and uh, you have any questions and I can help to at least direct you to appropriate care, I would be much, you know, more than happy to do it. Um, I, I, I take great, uh, great, take great joy in taking care of older folks. Very good. Um, well, thank you, Dr. Atimadu. Um, as far as knowledgeable aging, uh, you can find all of our webinars on our website, also on our YouTube page. I encourage you to subscribe. Just type in knowledgeable aging. We update the website or the 
YouTube page four to five times a week. If podcasts are your thing, you can check us out on Apple, Tunes, uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, etc. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging. Thank you.